Have you ever um, gotten into something that didn't quite turn out the way that you thought it would? Maybe you got into something that didn't quite live up to your expectations. Um, I feel like this happens to me a lot around shopping online. Um, it is something I feel like I have really succumbed to, like my Amazon Prime is there all the time. But in the early days, I don't know if any of you remember shopping on eBay when it first came out. And if you didn't pay very close attention to the description on eBay, what you thought would maybe a full-size Atari 2600 that you were really excited about shipped straight from China and it was just a little tiny miniature version of the said thing. And it felt like that would happen to us a lot. It would take seven weeks to show up and had to go through customs and it was nothing what you thought it was gonna be. Then later on, maybe with Groupon, you know, maybe you thought you were buying this nice escape room and you end up showing up to this guy Ted's house and it's really just his garage with a lock on it that he puts for an hour and says I'll be back in an hour try to get out and then you had to pay $20 for parking because you didn't read the fine print right sometimes they just don't live up to expectations for me most recently this happened uh, with an Amazon purchase we had moved into our house a few years ago and um, we were kind of getting set up we knew we were going to be there for a long time and uh Rachel really wanted to have the living room set up and, you know, to be welcoming so we'd have folks over and for the kids and whatnot. And I learned a string of words that I never thought would be in my vocabulary that you need to have a, a piece to focus on in your room. And I've never heard of a piece of furniture that you focus your room around, nor did I ever think I'd have to say those words together more than once in my life. Um, and so it turned out that the thing that was needed was a TV stand. And now when I hear TV stand, I think you just go to Ikea, I think they're $35, you kind of put them together, right? And it's good, it's black, it just sits there and you just put your TV on it. Apparently this needed to be something unique. And so uh, we start looking and of course I'm very patient with this. Um, I'm really good at that. And so we finally find the one. We had been out one night, we were seeing some friends play music at the Imperial. And if you've ever been to the Imperial, this is a place uh, where they let you sit on their furniture at night. And so we found this thing and it looked really cool. And then we looked at the price tag and realized that what we would really like costs as much as most cars or maybe two cars if you have uh, older cars. And um, so we thought, well, this is definitely not gonna happen, right? This, this kind of thing. So we start looking around and think, well, what, what could we do instead? So I found another one and it only cost a moped. Um, which was still way more than I was willing to spend on a piece to focus our living room around. Um, so being the thrifty shopper that I am, I love to get a good deal and I love to feel like I've beat the system. So I go to Amazon and I find the TV stand and it's right there and it is at an unbelievable price. Now I read the reviews and there were many one-star reviews for this item. Uh, many things that said, um, hey, they don't know how to package this thing. It comes in pieces that are not supposed to be pieces. There's like one four-star review that said, oh yeah, it's great. I'm like, that's gonna be me. I expect I'm gonna be the one who's gonna get the great thing. They probably have figured out the packaging issues that this thin paper-like thing that they called cardboard that it was packed in will not happen to me. So I placed the order and I was trying to make it a surprise. Uh, we were out of town, I was trying to have it all set up when Rachel got back and it'd be like this nice little thing. And so the day came, right? And you know, you get the, the alert that your Amazon package is there and you're pretty excited. And so I go out there and there's a few things that I knew um, were gonna be a setup for failure in the midst of this. Um, one is it was standing on its end by the front door. Now this is a solid piece. I mean, it's a pretty big piece of wood. It's supposed to be anyway. Um, and it is leaned at an angle that is not natural for wood, um, for one. Um, two, the box should be a rectangular shape and it is more of a rhombus with a twist in it. Um, the other thing when you move large pieces of furniture that you don't expect to hear are pieces falling as you bring it inside. So I opened it and I got the one-star review package. Um, the cardboard was made out of, I don't even know, it was like a piece of paper, I think, that he just sort of loosely wrapped around this and then threw it in the mail and hoped for the best. Um, and you know, and the, like one of the legs was turned to sawdust, but my expectations were sky high, right? Like I thought I had beat the system. I was gonna get a great deal, that this was not me. I was gonna be four-star guy. 
And, the, and, and I just kind of, but you know, I still built in a little bit of that, like if it's a one star, I can probably fix it, right? Like I'm still gonna get a good deal on this thing, um, which ended up working out. But all that to say, uh, sometimes our expectations don't quite live up there. And sometimes we even harbor and kind of build in a, a, a lower expectation so we're not disappointed with the final outcome, don't we? So my question is, is how are you coming into the room today? What expectations are you bringing in with you today? What are you expecting out of this day? Because the thing is, is every time we walk in the church, there are expectations. Every day we get up, there are expectations. But I think they're even more magnified when we come in the church on Easter. We bring our expectations in the room. What are you expecting today? Are you expecting a miracle? Are you expecting good news? Uh, maybe you're expecting that Easter will fix everything. If you can just get into the room today, if you can just get through the doors, you just get ready and you get here, are you expecting that Easter will just fix all of the things that have been going wrong over these last few days? Maybe you expect that Easter will fix your family if you just show up, as your family has asked you to come and, and gotten you here. If you just show up with them, maybe it'll fix your family. It'll fix those things that haven't been working right in your family. Maybe you expect that it will fix your pain, the things that are going on, the disappointments and the hurts that are there. Um, we apparently uh, don't have a lot of hope about expectations. I love um, when we do things like this to put in the Google autocomplete because it kind of fills in the things that people are searching for. And I typed in expectations are, and this is what we got. Expectations are pre-mediated or premeditated resentments. Expectations are blueprints for disappointment. Expectations are too high. Expectations are resentments waiting to happen. Um, and I look at that and I think that's probably the reality most of us walk around in with our expectations. This is what we do. This is why we try not to even expect too much. So are you here today and you're just expecting disappointment? Are you feeling hopeless? Are you wanting a better life than what you're currently experiencing? Maybe you come in today and you just expect to kind of get beat up for not really believing all this. Is that what you're expecting, that, that you're just going to come in and, and almost, you just almost expect it and, and want it? Like it, it's just this reminder of like, well, this is just another year where it's just the same as last year. And I'll just sort of take it for the day and we'll walk for the rest of the year. Or maybe have you gotten to the place where you just expect nothing? Because I think this is the one where we find ourselves most often is we get to a place where if you just expect nothing, if you just shut your emotions down, if you just turn off the expectations, then nothing can hurt you, right? If you can just put that little shield around your heart and those things that you want, then nothing can get in there and hurt it. Because if it doesn't happen, well, that's what's supposed to happen. And even if it does, it's like, well, I, I'm safe. I'm safe in this place. Maybe you're just so tired. You're just so beat up that you're just protecting yourself in that place where you expect nothing. I think our expectations often reveal our deepest longings and desire. Our expectations are the things that point most deeply in ourselves that we want to happen. And so oftentimes we bring those down to a manageable place because if they don't happen, then we can't get hurt. If our life doesn't turn out quite the way we wanted, and if we don't put that out there, then no one will know and we can just kind of keep going on day by day. I bring in expectations on Easter too. We all do. I'm not immune from this. And, and I feel like as I've walked through these last few weeks and thinking about what is it that is stirring in me? What are the things that I am hoping for in this Easter? For me, I, I need hope. I feel like there's just a lack of hope in the world around that it just feels fractured and broken. Uh, I'm wired for relationships. I'm an extrovert to the extreme. I love being around people and people give me energy and hearing stories and being around you all gives me energy. But even in the midst of that, it feels like the relationships 
So many of them are broken and fall short of my expectations of what should be happening out of them. But here's the good news. Easter is about hope. It, it looks forward and not back. It reveals Jesus' character and his heart and ultimately God's heart and hope for us. We've been spending this year uh, throughout the beginning of this year using the lens of if we take this year of looking at Jesus, we will be able to see the heart and character of God because Jesus was God incarnate. Jesus was God with skin on living on this earth. And we were able to clearly see what God's heart is. How would he live this out on it? Who are the people that he cares for? Who does he spend time with? What is he drawn to? And so we have focused on Jesus. And even more specifically, we've taken a lens of what can we learn about Jesus in the heart of God by looking at these stories of him. And we're going to be doing the same today. Today, we're going to be looking at this passage on the resurrection. We're going to be looking at John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. It's in your bulletin. And before we launch into there, I want to give you a little picture of what's happening. You see, Jesus is dead. Jesus has died on the cross and he is not just dead in the chapter before this, in the paragraph before this, it paints a very vivid picture that Jesus is dead, dead. He's not asleep. He's not in a coma. He's not just sort of dead. He is all the way dead. They have gone through all of the steps and he has been laid in a tomb. He has been prepared for burial. He is gone and his followers are hopeless. They are despondent. Their hopes and dreams have been shattered. They were at the foot of the cross and they did not yet fully understand what was going to happen. They walked in with the expectations that Jesus was going to be this king, that he was going to take over. And for them, it looks like all has been lost. Their expectations were sky high and it seems that everything has let them down and they are broken and they are hurt. They have gone in the hiding, many of them, and they have gone away. And we pick up this story in chapter 20. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. So she shows up. She doesn't seem to quite know what to expect. She has come for whatever reason to the tomb and it is empty. And she sees this, so she takes this news back to Peter and the other disciple. Verse three, so Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked into the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus's head. The cloth was still lying in its place separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. So these two guys, these close followers, after Mary had gone to give them this news, come running. They see and they believed what they needed to believe and they left the scene. They went back to wherever they were from. But then we're left with Mary. Mary is still there. She has shown up that morning for whatever reason, whatever she's looking for, for whatever hope and expectations she's had that she's brought into it. And they're unmet. The tomb is empty and she does not know what is going on. And she stays behind for whatever reason. Mary has chosen to stay behind and stays at the tomb. In verse 11, it says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. It's been interesting reading this one this week. When you read these stories over and over again, what I've found is oftentimes they don't become static. They don't become the things that just kind of blend in. You find new things every time you read it. It's one of the incredible things 
about scripture. It's one of our hopes as we walk through this year of reading it together because there's something about the scripture that is alive, that moves, that reveals itself to us over time. And something that has struck me so much in this story is typically when people encounter an angel, they fall back in fear. It says they were terrified. They fell down in fear. They cried out. Angels were spooky and terrifying and awe-inspiring and all of these things. Yet Mary sees two angels and here's her response. They've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. I have gotten this sense that Mary is just so distraught, that she is so deep in her depression or so deep in her hurt and woundedness. You can almost hear these words just sort of like leak out of her. They've taken my Lord away and I don't know where they've put him. I think Mary is just so broken and so sad that even in the with angels sitting in front of her, the angels that wake people up and terrify them. Mary's response is just so down and she's just so done. And she's like, just where have they put him? If you'll just tell me. Verse 14, she says at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him again. She is feet away from Jesus. She is just feet away from the one she's looking for. And again, she can't even seem to muster up the energy to tell who it is or whatever, for whatever reason that it's obscured. And she just wants to know where the body is so she can deal with it. Again, you just get this sense that she's just sitting there and just like, it's just oozing out of her. But something incredible happens. In verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned around toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And even when you read it, there's an exclamation point. And all of a sudden, it seems that she's come back to life. There's something in her that has become animated. She's gone from this place where she can't even muster the energy to be awed by angels. But at the sound of her name from the one that she's been looking for, Rabboni, teacher. And then Jesus said, do not hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. It's incredible. Mary becomes the first messenger of the good news. So much is in here. And I think there are three things that I want to point out that I think are so important for us. Three things that have struck me that I want to share with you today that I found in the story that I think God wants for us this morning. The first is this. Jesus meets us right where we are. Jesus meets you right where you are. He is a personal God. God in the form of Jesus, when we see his heart on display, he goes to Mary. He is personal. And he meets Mary in the midst of her pain and doubt. He does not wait for her to get her things together. Jesus does not wait for the situation to change or for her crying to start. He walks right where she is and meets in the midst of. Mary was at the cross. Just a couple of days, just not long before that she is at the cross. Now she is at the grave. This is a short time period in the scheme of things. Hours, days, a short window of time, but it may have been the longest period of time in Mary's life because her hope was gone. The things that she'd been living for, the things that she'd been walking for have ended. I was uh, allowed to visit Surge the other day, which is our middle school group. They let me come every now and again and drop in on them. Um, and, and Chad, our student minister, was doing a talk and he was talking to our students 
about waiting, about waiting for these things that we want to come true. And, and, and I just remember, I mean, I'm still in the midst of that, right? I don't like to wait. I'm not someone who enjoys being patient and waiting, but so much of our life is waiting. And he used this illustration with the students and talked about that we have a now that we're experiencing and there's a future that's coming. And sometimes those can be really close together and sometimes they can be far apart, but no matter what it is in the middle, you have no idea how long that will be. And that's where Mary walks into the story. She is in the middle of not knowing how long this ending is gonna be, how long this brokenness, how long this unmet expectation is gonna be. When she walks into the story, when she comes to the tomb, it doesn't seem that she's expecting a risen Jesus. It doesn't seem that she is expecting to come face to face with Jesus. She is just coming for whatever reason. Maybe she just needs to see that it's final. Maybe she needs to come do final preparations, but she comes in. The one thing she doesn't seem to be expecting is Jesus himself. She seems to be disappointed at this empty tomb. Her now, in that moment when we first find her, is unfulfilled. But just outside... Just moments later, it seemed, her hope is fulfilled when Jesus comes to her. It's interesting. Jesus starts with a question. He says, who are you looking for? Why are you crying, right? These words, Jesus asks the question, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? We've been saying for a while now that Jesus often asks questions because questions invite relationship. Questions invite response. Questions are something you do with one another when you care about someone and you want to listen. And Jesus starts with this question. But when he calls her name, everything changes. There is this real sense that she goes from doubt and depression and hurt and pain to alive. A few weeks ago, we looked at the story of Mary and Martha in much the same way when Lazarus had died and Jesus shows up. And here is a sad Mary, another Mary sitting in a room. There's a lot of Marys in here, in case you're wondering. Um, it can get a little confusing. But there is another Mary, and she is there sad. And as soon as Jesus calls her name out, she springs to life and goes to him. And in the same way, this Mary, when she hears his name, she comes back to life. And Raboni, like there's this exclamation point. There is like a very visceral sense that she is back. She knows, and it's one word, one word, her name spoken by someone who loves her. When we hear our name from someone who cares about us, it's all the difference, isn't it? You can hear your name over and over again if it's you're at graduation and someone calls out your name that they read from a cue card. Someone reads your name at work. It's, it's one thing, but when it's someone who cares about you, when you walk in the door and you hear mommy or daddy, when the one who loves you says your name in a tender way, it's all the difference. I know for me, it changed the trajectory of my life. I remember sitting in my high school at 17 years old, junior year, and a guy named Jim took the time to learn my name, and it was the most benign of questions. I was walking down the hall, and I hear OJ. You need to turn around, and here's this guy. He was a young life leader. He was a guy that I'd seen around school and that I, I wanted to know a little bit more, and he had learned my name. So I'm instantly hooked, right? I, I want to know, and he just says, when's prom? I mean, just the most empty of questions, right? Just the smallest question. But it meant he knew my name. It meant he knew something I was involved with. In. It meant he cared. And from then on, I wanted to know whatever it was that that guy knew about. And fortunately for me, that guy knew Jesus and pointed me to him. When we hear our name from someone who loves us, everything changes. Jesus meets us where we are. It's personal. That's the first thing. Second is this. Jesus is hope. He came back. He came back and death has lost its sting. He conquered death and he came back and death is defeated. It is incredible news. 
It is the best news because all of the rest of it could happen to anyone. A good man can give their life, but none of us can come back. None of us have the power to beat death, but Jesus did. I would posit that hope is not a feeling. Um, we get so wrapped up in our feelings, right? And we oftentimes let our feelings lead us to where we go. Love oftentimes becomes equated with a feeling, but love in its deepest sense is a verb. It is a thing we do. It is a way we care for others. And I think in the same way, hope is not a feeling or a dream fulfilled or a, an expectation met. Hope is a person. Hope is a person named Jesus, the person who beat death and offers us life. As soon as Mary clearly sees, as soon as whatever was going on with her vision where she was unable to see Jesus, when that time when she's in the tomb, whether the light was so bright outside that she couldn't make any kind of a gesture, whether she had been crying so much that she couldn't see, when she heard her name and finally saw who Jesus was, her hope was back. And she is alive. She has moved from death to life. What do we learn about Jesus in the midst of this? What do we learn when Jesus shows up? What do we learn that, about Jesus coming back from the dead? I, I would say this, that Jesus is trustworthy. Jesus said he would come back, and he did. He did it. He said three days later, I'm coming back, and he did it. Hebrews 10, 23, it says, Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm that hope who is Jesus, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Jesus is hope. In the midst of everything else, Jesus is hope. Third thing, when Mary encounters this hope, when Mary hears her name, she responds by telling others. And that is often our response. When we finally hear our name from the one who cares about us, when we see hope, when we see clearly that Jesus is there with us, our response is to go and tell others. Um, something interesting that also uh, struck me in, in looking at it this time. After Jesus says her name, after she recognizes who it is, Jesus says this in verse 17. Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go and said to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. In this very real sense, he's saying, don't cling to me. There's better coming. Don't hold on to me so tightly right now, though it is amazing, right? Jesus is back and he is just feet from her and walking her and immediately says, don't cling to me. The best is yet to come. You see, she is present in the midst of, she is at Jesus' feet, yet he seems to be saying there is something even better out there, something better that you and I get to experience that she would eventually, but the better was still off in the distance. And then she responds by going to tell this good news. And this is just so reminiscent of Jesus. Because who does he reveal this good news to over and over again? He reveals it to a woman at a well who's out in the middle of the day because she is so shamed by the life she's living, by the many men that she's been with, by the brokenness inside her. And Jesus walks to a woman at the well and tells her everything about her life. And her response is to go into a city and say, come see this man who knows everything about me. Jesus comes to a group of shepherds on Christmas morning and they come and see this baby in a manger after they leave their fields and they go back and they tell the town everything that they have seen. You see, Jesus over and over and over again uses unlikely messengers. He comes to those that are the least likely to be the people to proclaim it and they go and tell the good news. I was reading devotional this week by Ken Gear, and he says this. In his triumph, Jesus could have paraded through the streets of Jerusalem. He could have knocked on Pilate's door. He could have confronted the high priest. But the first person our resurrected Lord appears to is a woman without hope. And the first words he speaks are, why are you crying? 
what a savior we serve, or rather who serves us. For in his hour of greatest triumph, he doesn't shout his victory from the rooftops. He comes quietly to a woman who grieves, who desperately needs to hear his voice, see his face and feel his embrace. So I'll ask you again, where do you find yourself today? What are you bringing into this Easter day? What are your expectations as you walk in here today and as you're seated with us this morning? If you haven't yet seen Jesus, um, I would encourage you to keep looking. You see, Mary just showed up. She didn't even quite know what she was looking for, but she showed up. And I would encourage you to keep looking, to wait, to cry if you need to, to run. Whatever those things you need to do is to do those things and get into a place because you see Jesus is alive and he will meet you personally where you are. And today might even be that day. Today might even be the day that he shows up for you. And it may be a part of the people that are sitting around you revealing that to you today. Take time with him. Over these coming weeks, we're going to be starting a new series starting next Sunday called The Life After, where we're going to be taking a look at what happened when Jesus showed up to people after he was resurrected, after he came back to life and the impact that it had on their lives. And I would invite you to come back over these next few weeks and take a look. Take a look and see what happens in lives that are met by a resurrected Jesus. Take time. And I also invite you uh, to consider starting point. Um, we're starting this group. There's a small group of people in a safe place where you can ask your questions, where you can bring your doubts, where you can ask the big questions. In fact, uh, this morning in this issue of Simple, there's a story about a couple who went through this class. And as you read it, it may stir some things up and you may go, Oh, that's maybe where I am. Maybe that's your next right step to get into a group where you can ask the questions. And maybe you can ask those questions that go beyond even the surface questions, the questions that you've been asking all along. Why, where's the disappointment? How, how could this happen? All those things you bring into it. Maybe starting point is that place for you to have the space to examine and ask questions and to examine the claims of who Jesus is. If you've seen Jesus and maybe you've lost hope or maybe he just seems far away at this point in your life, or maybe the feelings that you once have have worn off. I, I just want to encourage you, he's there. Maybe your vision is just blurry. You know, it took Mary a minute to adjust whatever was going on for her to be able to clearly see Jesus. And Mary had been with Jesus for a long time. She had been present with him. She had been at his feet. She knew him intimately. And yet it still took her a while to figure out that that was him calling for her at the, at the, at the tomb that day. I would say that you're in good company if even Mary, who is right there, is there. And here we are on the other side of this. My encouragement for you to be keep adjusting your vision, keep looking. Um, some great ways to do that here, maybe just to be coming to church, to be around other people who've seen him and are continuing to see him. Maybe it's getting into a connect group, getting into a small group of people who are walking through this day after day and learning and serving and worshiping with one another. Maybe for you, a great next step would be to get into regroup, to take a look at your story, to have time to process through the things going on in your life in a safe place. Or maybe, just maybe, it's just finding some quiet and listening for your name. I find over and over again in the busyness of this life, it is just so easy to keep going and to keep moving and to be so frantic that when I finally slow down, when I finally find some quiet, I can hear that whisper of my name and it all comes back together and the vision seems to line back up. But if you have found that hope, and if hope has found you, if you've seen him and you're living in the hope that brings, we need to share it with others. The world needs hope as much now, if not more than ever. Your neighbors, your coworkers, your spouses, your kids, 
the people that you run into every day, they are in desperate need of hope. And maybe, maybe you're the unlikely messenger that God has put into their life to share this good news with. You know, you and I, we're the agents of hope. Those of us who have found this hope of Jesus and are following him, we're the agents of it. It's why Jesus came back to offer us life and hope and a new present and future that we can share with others. You see, church is a group of people that are unlikely messengers getting together. That's what this is. That's what church is. It is a room and a group of people and folks walking through life together that are unlikely messengers. And it's why we do this, it's why we do life together day after day. It's why we join together in church week after week because unlikely messengers need other unlikely messengers to remind us of what is at stake, to encourage us to keep going and to help keep our vision sharp so we can see the hope that Jesus continually offers so that together we can do a better job of bringing hope to those who are hopeless than any of us could even on our own unified by and around a hope that is a person who is alive and inviting each and every one of us in the relationship with him. May we be that hope and offer it to the world that is desperately searching for it. Would you join me in prayer this morning? God, you came back. You said you would, and you did it. Death has been defeated. The sting of it is gone, Lord, and you walked out of the tomb and you walk into our lives, Lord, and you offer us new hope and new life. Lord, you call out our name. You meet us in the midst of our despair and our brokenness. And every season of life, Lord, you are willing to walk into. There is nothing that is going on that you're unwilling to walk into you and call out our name. And Lord, when we hear it, God, I pray that we would have the courage and the clarity to turn around to move towards you, to take steps to find out more about you, whatever those steps may be, whether that's getting into a group to ask questions or spending more time with you or being quiet or whatever we need to do to be able to more clearly see you, Lord, I pray that we could do that. And as we move towards you, as we see this hope that is you in the flesh, we are reminded that death is gone and that there is a hope that the one thing that looms before all of us has lost its sting. God, I pray that we could then take that hope and share it with others because there is a world out there that needs hope. They need the hope that there is life, that there is more to this life than what they experience day after day. God, be with us. Walk with us. Be present with us. God, I pray that even this morning that you would be moving in towards us, Lord, and that we would be more clearly seeing you and moving towards you. God, thank you for Easter. Thank you that the tomb is empty and that you are risen indeed. We pray all of this this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.